Shalom, everyone, and welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast on this another blessed holy day, our holy weekly Shabbat, our weekly feast day. We want to give praise, as always, to our King Yahuwah and his son, Yahusha. For without Yahusha and his blood and him coming to live the life and show us how to live the life, we would not have a chance at redemption. So we want to give praises to his son, Yahusha, and not only just to the son, but to the father who allowed his son to come and die for our sins. And I'm Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is Pastor Richard Washington. Uh, Just a quick note, we want to let you know we will not be live streaming for two podcasts for two weeks. We will be back next week, but December the 31st, Shabbat, and January the 7th, Shabbat, we will not have a live podcast on those two Shabbats, but we will be back on January the 14th. So mark that in your calendars uh, that we will be back January the 14th. We will be taking a break on December the 31st as well as January the 7th, but we look forward to coming back on January the 14th. If at any time while this podcast is airing or if you're watching it after the live stream, and you have some questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. Again, if you have any questions or comments, either while the podcast is live or afterwards, if you're viewing afterwards, be sure to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. And if you're watching on your computer and you're watching live, you can also put your comment or chat or your comment or question in the chat, and we will also address it there also. Well, if you notice, we have been going through a great series on the destiny of disobedience. The pastor has been giving us a series in regards to why African-Americans have been dealing with what we've been dealing with for the past, since we've been in America, pretty much. And he's addressing it from the tone of the scriptures. So if you have not listened, we're on 13 today. If you have not listened to the previous 12 weeks, December the 31st, January the 7th is a perfect time to revisit those and to understand because each one builds upon each other. I uh, can't stress enough. You really need to listen to it. So take out the time. Check it out. Very much a lot of knowledge there, a lot of scriptures and everything. So if you're ready, I'm going to turn it over to the pastor. Pastor, so we are on Destiny of Disobedience, part 13. Yes, all right, thank you very much. <clears throat> now, what we have been trying to show is that we are trying to return back to the covenant. We know it was because of covenant breaking that we were taken into captivity and spread out upon the earth and taken from our original land. And now we're discussing coming back to the covenant, but we don't want to look at it so simplistic that when we come back to the covenant, we recognize that we are the people of the covenant, even though others have supposed to be who we are, yet we know who we are. And as a result of knowing who we are, it's not just enough to say we return to the covenant, but what we want to see is how Elohim wants us to return to that covenant. 
So with that in mind, let us proceed um, with our teachings for today. Let us pray. Eternal Father, as we open your word, we ask that you would open our hearts. Bless each listener, bless the host, bless me, the speaker. And as we fellowship together, that we may learn more about returning to your covenant so that we can be your covenant-keeping people, O Heavenly Father, that when thou dost come, we have prepared our hearts to live in a kingdom that would be governed by your covenant. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it, and for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Okay, our first text that we want to turn to is found in the book of Deuteronomy, Devarim. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, and we want to concentrate on verse number two of the pivotal text that we have been using for this discourse of the destiny of disobedience. And here, verse two says of the 30th chapter of Deuteronomy, and thou shalt return unto Yah, thy Elohim, and thou shalt obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day. Thou and thy children, with all thine heart and with all thy soul. Now, in our last discourse, we were showing that Elohim want us to return with all of our heart. And we discussed the heart as being our emotions. And out of that, we have our thoughts and our imaginations. We dealt with that. Now that we have looked at the heart, let us pursue <clears throat> what the Bible says about the soul. So he says we should, we should return back to him with all of our heart and soul. So now that we've looked at the heart, we want to concentrate on the soul. Now, in doing that, uh, one of the words that is used for soul is found in the first chapter, the, the second chapter we want to go to uh, Genesis chapter 2. And in Genesis chapter 2, we want to look at verse number 7. Now, here in Genesis chapter 2, verse number 7, the Bible says, And Yah Elohim formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now, when we talk about the, the living soul, this word in Hebrew is nephish. Genesis 2-7 is talking about the nephish. So let us examine this text to understand uh, just what the nephish is. So when we look at the word soul in this text, it is the exact same word uh, that is used in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 2. Same word, nephish. Here in Genesis 2, 7 and in Deuteronomy 30, verse 2, the same word for soul is nephish. So let us uh, look at that word. Now, when we examine this text in Genesis 2, 7 to understand just what a soul is composed of, okay, so we want to examine that and see what, what makes up a soul. So here in Genesis 2, 7, 
in this text, we are given the components of a soul, of which in Hebrew is nephish, and it means an animal soul. Let us look at both the components of the nephish and why does it mean an animal soul. So we want to look at those components as we deal with a soul because we're talking about returning back to Elohim, and he has given us some instructions that we need to uh, consider. Now, according to our text, the nephish is composed of two components, namely, now, according to the text, Genesis 2-7, uh, the soul is composed of the dust of the ground and the breath of Elohim. That's what makes up the soul, the breath of Elohim and the dust of the earth or the dust of the ground. These are the two basic components of which our souls are composed of. However, these two components can also be broken down into various entities. The dust and the breath is what makes up a soul. What we are concerned with in this text is the formation of a soul and why it means an animal soul. When a man, <clears throat> when man was created, we are told <clears throat> he was first formed and once his substance was formed into the shape in which Yah wanted him, which was in the image and likeness of himself, according to Genesis 1, 26 and 27. By man being in the image and likeness of his creator, he could then function as his creator once having obtained his breath of life. So when Elohim made him out of the dust of the ground and formed and shaped him in his own image, once he had put that breath of life in him, then he became a living, vibrant individual to be able to move and to think and to bring about the necessary understanding of his environment through the man that Elohim had given to him. So the formula and substance of man in actuality was Elohim's covenant of man. This is what we would call the Adamic covenant. In the Adamic covenant is both the physical substance and the pneumatical substance. Now, when we talk about the physical substance, we're talking about the dust of the ground, and we talk about the pneumatical substance, we're talking about the spiritual substance. These two respective substances are in a covenant relationship to one another. When Yah merged them together and man became a living soul, the physical with the spiritual makes the soul. And this is what we want to understand. In order to have a soul, you have to have physical substance and spiritual substance. Elohim's covenant was a living, vibrant human being in the flesh. Thus, the soul of man, which is called the nephish, was an animal soul. When we speak about an animal soul, it is not in the sense of an animal as we know it today. When we talk about an animal, we talk about the lower species of man. But this is not what it's saying. 
but rather in the sense of having a living attributes of anything which possesses life. We today associate an animal with the lower species of life forms other than man. Anything lower than man, we call an animal. Now, what we want to understand is, is that when we refer to the animal soul, we're not talking about an animal, even though it includes animals. Furthermore, what we should also recognize is that the word animal isn't even in the Bible. It is a word or a term we apply to the scriptures, perhaps to clarify or to, to expand on some understanding of some concept which we can't make plain in the original language of Hebrew. See, everybody doesn't speak Hebrew, so we have to use human terms or English terms to help understand the Hebrew terms. But the word animal is not even in the scriptures. It is a term that we use when we deal with life. This is one reason why we have translations of the Holy Writ, because we are using our language to substitute for another language. Sometimes the usage of another language may clarify something, and in other instances, it may distort the meaning. However, the point we are emphasizing is that an animal as related to a human being is not to be misconstrued with an animal as we know as a being of a species different from man. So when we speak of an animal soul, it is with the intentions of being with a, a being with sensual attributes which has life be it an animal or a man. At this juxtaposition, let us see how our soul can return to Elohim's. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about returning back to him. We will now view the soul in its two aspects, the physical and the spiritual components. Now, on this discourse, we will primarily be dealing with the physical being or the physical component of, uh, uh, of, uh, of the soul. And then next week, the Lord permits, we'll be dealing with the spiritual uh, aspect of the soul. But we want to deal with the physical today. Just as we were able to see how our imagination came forth out of our thoughts, and our thoughts came forth out of our heart, even so, we'll also discover how our spirit comes forth from our physical body. Just as our heart house our thoughts and imaginations, even so our body house our spirit. Our body, like the heart, is a container, and we will reference this body as our house, and we'll call this part of our teachings the corporal, Container. Now, when we talk about the corporal, we're talking about the body. Now, just another word for body when we talk about the corporal container. In other words, the physical body is a container. Okay. And we want to look at this container, the physical body. All right. Now, the text that we want to consider uh, at this juxtaposition is we, we want to turn to the Gospel of John. 
in the in, in, in Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, we want to consider uh, chapter chapter two in the in the Gospel of John, and we want to consider a few verses there because what we're trying to do is look at the corporal container, which is the human body. Now, here in John chapter two, we are looking at verses eighteen through twenty-one. Notice what it says, John chapter two. And we're starting with verse number 18. Now the Bible says, Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou dost these things? And Yeshua answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I would raise it up. Then the Jews said, Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building. Will thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. See, he spake of the temple of his body. Okay. So now, <clears throat> when Yeshua said, destroy this temple in three days, they thought he was talking about the temple of Solomon that had built and Herod renovated this temple. And when he said he tear this temple down, and in three days I raise it, they were saying, "How on earth are you gonna raise up a temple that we, it took us forty six years to build?" But the Bible explains he was not talking about Solomon's temple; he was talking about his body temple. Okay, so that's what we want to understand: the body temple, because we are talking about the corporal container, the physical frame that Elohim had given to man. Now, in conjunction with that text, we want to turn to uh, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. And in the 1 Corinthians, we want to consider uh, verse chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we want to consider verse 16. Okay. Now, keep in mind that Yeshua says, Destroy this temple, and in three days, I'm going to bring it up, which he was talking about his own body temple. Now, here in 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of Elohim, and that the spirit of Elohim dwelleth in you. You see? So here Paul is saying the same thing that Yeshua is saying. And the same thing that is happening with Adam when he was created and the spirit went into Adam. Adam was the first temple that was made upon the earth. Yeshua says that his body was a temple. Now, Paul is saying not only was Adam and Yeshua, but he's saying that our bodies are also the temple. They are also the temples. Okay. Now, in the same second, in the same first uh Corinthians, in the same 1 Corinthians, we want to go to chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we want to look at verses 19 and 20. And the Bible tells us, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of Elohim, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify Elohim in your body and in your spirit, which are Elohim's. 
So what we have established here is that when Elohim made the human body, he was making a temple. And the temple that he was making was for his spirit to dwell in that temple. So when we talk about the covenant, we are actually not just talking about something that was written on stones, because there was no law on stones when Adam was created. We're not talking about something that was written on the scrolls, because when Adam was created, there weren't any scrolls. So when Adam was created by Elohim, he was what you call a living covenant. He was the living covenant. All of his DNA that he had, it had the covenant of Elohim written all over it. He was the living covenant. The scrolls and the stones came later in which Elohim had written upon to remind us not only of his covenant, but to remind us that we are the living covenant. This is why he says, when you return unto me, you have to return unto me with your whole heart and soul, and even our physical frame has to return to him. Okay, now, so we're... Now, this part of our discourse, we're not only talking about the, uh, the corporate container. Uh, well, we are talking about the corporate container, but let us continue with this. Now, from these texts that we have just read, John, Corinthians, from these texts, we can deduce that our body is looked upon as a what? As a temple. This temple of which we refer to as our body is what we call the corporate container, and it is this container which Yeshua, which Yeshua said, if you tear it down, and in three days I will raise it up, and Paul says, know ye not that ye are the temple of Yah, let us examine the corporate container, which is the temple of Yah. When we consider the corporate container, it has two basic things of which we should be aware of. Now, when we look at the physical being of man, it has two things that we need to be aware of. First thing we want to consider is the substance of which the body temple is made of, and secondly, the shape. So we have the shape and the substance. We will reference the body temple substance as the material it is composed of, and we will call it the corporal composition. Okay, now we got the corporal uh, composition now. See, we talk about the corporate container. That's the container. But now we are talking about what the container is composed of. Now, that'll take us all the way back to Genesis again. And in Genesis chapter 2, we want to consider verse 7. Genesis 2-7 again, because we're looking at the corporate composition. What is this container made out of? Now, the Bible tells us very explicitly and very plainly, and Yah Elohim formed man of the dust of the ground. So the Bible is saying the physical frame of man is made of what? The dust of the ground. So as we look at the corporal composition, Adam and Eve's bodies were made out of the soil of the earth. So we can rightfully say that the soil represents our flesh, which composes our physical nature. 
it is from our physical nature that our carnal desires are embedded. The corporal composition is composed of the same elements we extract from our soil for the simple reason that we are made out of the soil, that we reflect the soil and the soil reflects us. Because we were made out of the soil, we must respect it so that it can produce what is needed for our physical being. Now, the reason why we would treat the soil with love and affection is because the soil is our neighbor. If we mistreat our neighborly soil, then in turn, it will not be able to treat us as it should. Remember that Elohim gave to the soil some of the same laws he gave to mankind. When he said to man to rest from his work on the seventh day, as Yah did from his. So let us turn to Exodus. Exodus chapter 20. Now notice what it says in Exodus chapter 20. <clears throat> and in the 20th chapter of Exodus, we're going to look at uh, verses 8 through 11. And the Bible says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of Yah, thy Elohim. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days Yah made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, Yah blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So Elohim is saying, on the Sabbath, you're not to do any work. No work uh, whatsoever. Okay, now when we consider that uh, no work was to be done on on, on the Sabbath, then we'll want to look at also in Leviticus. Let's turn to Leviticus. I may not have that that listed, but want to look at Leviticus chapter twenty-five. Leviticus chapter twenty-five, and I want to just look at a, a a few verses there. Okay, Leviticus chapter twenty-five, and uh, in the twenty-fifth chapter of Leviticus, we want to look at, we want to start with verse number one, okay? Okay, the Bible says here in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 1, And Yah spake unto Moses in Mount Sinai, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye come into the land which I give you, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto Yah. So now, do you see the correlation? That man was to rest on the Sabbath, and he says, when man rests, that means he rests from his labor, but also he's making it very clear that just as man rests, he said, when you come into the land, you got to let the land rest too. So we must understand that these laws that he's given for the land is to protect the land so that the land can protect us. Just as we are to rest on the Shabbat, so is the land. The plants which live off of the soil for it draws its sustenance from the ground. And when we partake of the plants which are edible, they in turn pass on to our carnal nature what they 
have eaten from the soil. See, the plant takes from the soil. It eats from the soil. It partakes of the soil. And when we eat the plants, we take into our body temple those essential elements needed for the soil. Our bodies aren't designed to extract from the soil the nutrients of which the human body needs. The plants were designed for this function. Yes, the plants take from the soil to give to us, and we take what they have to give to sustain our physical being. Once our carnal being has extracted the necessary vital nutrients from the plants, we in turn give back to the dirt of the earth the discharge of our waste, which is left over residue of the plant life that the body expels as excrement. This excrement is turned to food to feed the soil with the necessary ingredients of which the plants can utilize for necessary food reproduction. The soil and the plants work together in the laboratory of the earth to continue reproducing food for the human family of mankind. The nutritional cycle designed by Yah is that the soil gives the plants, the plants gives to the humans, and the humans gives back to the soil to start the cycle all over again. Consequently, we can see that our corporal composition comes from the earth. When we view the earth, it mirrors our substance, substance, and in our substance, the earth is seen. Now, we want to turn to Exodus. Okay, now, with that in mind, we want to turn to Exodus because we're still dealing with the, the physical side or the corporal. Uh, <clears throat> we were dealing with the corporal composition. Now, we want to turn to Exodus chapter 25. In Exodus chapter 25, we're going to look at verse number 5. Okay. Now, Exodus chapter 25, verse number 5. Now, this is in, in the making of the uh, tabernacle. Now, here the Bible says in Exodus 25, in verse 5, that what we're going to look at is, what we're going to look at, we're still looking at the physical frame of man, but we, we're going to look at what the sanctuary was made out of now, okay? Now, the Bible says here in Exodus 25, verse 5, it said, And the ram's skins died red, and the badger's skin, and shit them wood. Now, we don't want to deal with the skins at this point. We want to deal with the shit them wood, okay? Shit them wood. This is what, uh, uh, in, in the making of the tabernacle furniture, all of the articles were constructed with wood, with the exception of the brazen labor and the golden menorah. The brazen altar of burnt offerings, the golden altar of incense, and the golden table of showbread, and the golden ark of the covenant were all made out of acacia wood. Now, this acacia wood is what the Bible calls uh, 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 shittim wood, which comes from the shittah tree. So when you deal with the shittim wood, it comes from a shittah tree, and that's what they made 
the furniture of the sanctuary out of. This was a strong, durable wood in making the brazen altar, the golden altar, and the golden table and the golden ark. All of these items of furniture were made of acacia wood and overlaid with brass or gold. See, now when we let us let us turn to Exodus chapter twenty-seven. In Exodus chapter twenty-seven, notice what verses one and two says: "And thou shalt make an altar of shittim wood, five cubits long and five cubits broad. The altar shall be four square, and the height." shall be three scores, and thou shalt make the horns of it upon the four corners thereof. His horns shall be of the same, and thou shalt overlay it with brass. So he's saying that the in the courtyard of the sanctuary, there was an altar, a brazen altar that was made out of uh, shatok, out of the shatok tree, which we call acacia wood. And he said, once you make it and his horns, I want you to overlay it with brass. Okay, now let us turn to Exodus chapter 30. In Exodus chapter 30, we look at verses 1 to 3, and the Bible says, And thou shalt make an altar of burnt incense upon shittim wood, shalt thou make it. A cubit shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof. Four square shall be it be, and two cubits shall be the height thereof, the horns thereof shall be of the same, and thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, the top thereof, and the sides there round about, and the horns thereof, and thou shalt make unto it a crown of gold round about. So when they made uh, the altar of incense where prayer and the incense was sent up, they said, make it out of Acacia wood and overlay it with what? With gold. Now let us turn to Exodus uh, chapter 30. We're still in verse 30 and verdi and the 30th chapter. And this time we want to look at verses 23 and 24. Now, well, let me see. Exodus 30. No, I, I want Exodus 25, verses 23 and 24. Okay, let's go back to Exodus 25. Now, in Exodus 25, here we read in verses 23 and 24, it says in verse 23, Thou shalt also make a table of shittim wood. Two cubits shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, and make thereto a crown of gold round about. So when they made the table of showbread, which each week they had 12 loaves of bread on that table, and they would change the bread every week. But this table that the bread went on is called the table of showbread, and it said it was made out of uh, shittim wood, but it was overlaid with gold. Now let us uh, stay right in the book of uh, Exodus in the 25th chapter, and this time we want to go to verses 10 and 11, verses 10 and 11. Now, the Bible says here in, in, in uh, Exodus 25, 10 and 11, here it says in verse 10 of the 25th chapter, And they shall make an ark of shittim wood, two cubits shall, two cubits 
and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof, and thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. Within and without shalt thou overlay it, and shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about. So here we see all of these pieces of furniture that we spoke of. They were speaking about wood and gold. Okay, so these wood was overlaid with that that particular gold. But what we want to concentrate on at this particular point is just the wood. Okay, now when we turn turn to Psalms, uh, Psalms one. Let us turn to Psalms. And in Psalms, the first division, in the first division of the Psalms, we want to look at uh, verse number three, Psalms uh, 1-3. Okay, Psalms, stanza one, and we want to look at verse three, and it says, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bring forth his fruit in his season, and his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So according to the scripture, wood represents humanity. So often we read where a tree is used as a simile. Humans in many ways are compared to a tree. We speak of the body as having limbs, just as a tree have limbs. We speak of clapping our hands as the leaves of a tree clash together by the wind is said to clap their hands. Yeshua spoke of a tree bringing forth good fruit and corrupt tree bringing forth evil fruit. Since it is from a tree that we get wood, then we would not, then wood, then would not wood represent humans. So trees represent humans, so wood would represent human. Moreover, there was an association of the wood with the metals, because we read where the wood that was used, they overlaid uh, the wood with, 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 with brass, and they overlaid it with uh, gold. So let's look at the gold part at, at this uh, juxtaposition. Now let us turn to Isaiah chapter 13. Isaiah 13. And here in Isaiah chapter 13, we want to use uh, verse number 12. Isaiah 13, 12. Okay, here in the 12th verse of Isaiah 13, it says, He said, I will make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man than the gold wedge of Ophir, okay? So here the Bible said Elohim is going to make us more precious than fine gold, even the gold of Ophir. Now, what is the gold of Ophir? Let's, let's go to let's go to 1 Kings. And in 1 Kings, we want to use chapter 10. 1 Kings chapter 10. Now, here in chapter, uh, here in 1 Kings chapter 10, we want to look at verse number 11. Now, here the Bible says in 1 Kings 10, 11, And the navy also of Hiram that brought gold from Ophir brought in from Ophir great plenty of all mug trees and precious stones. So here they talk about the gold of Ophir, okay? 
that was used, and Elohim said, I'm going to make you more precious than the gold of Ophir. Now, I understand that the gold which was extracted from Ophir was so pure, it didn't need to be refined. They could just take it straight out of the ground. It was so pure. They didn't need to refine it. That's when they said the gold of Ophir was so precious. Moreover, we also understand that the human body is also made up of gold. Gold is a part of the earth. Okay? Now, uh, we don't need to turn to it, but I'm a, in the book of uh, Genesis, in the book of Genesis, we look at chapter 2 and verse, verse 11 through 12. Notice what it says. Genesis 2, Genesis 2, 11 through 12. And the Bible says the name of the first is, in other words, you're talking about the rivers. The name of the first river is Pison. That is which compasses the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And verse 12 says, and the gold of that land is good. There is bedellium and onyx stones. So when Elohim created the earth, there was gold in it. Gold he put here. Okay, that's gold. Moreover, we also understand that the human body uh, with the gold, gold is a part of the earth. So when man was made of the earth, a part of his anatomy and part of his being is gold. We are told in the creation narrative that in the land of Havilah, there was gold. And the gold, he says, of that land was good. So earlier, we pointed out that our body is a temple. Now, when we consider that our body is a temple, one of the things about a temple is that it contains metallic elements. If that is true about the tabernacle of Moses constructed and the temple of Solomon erected, then it is also true about our human tabernacle or human temple. So in other words, if the tabernacle that Moses and uh, was instructed to build and the temple that Solomon was supposed to build, if it had gold in it, then if we were made from the soil of the earth, this would also mean that we have gold in the human body. We have gold in our human temple. When we examine the metal uh, found in both the tabernacle constructed by Moses and the temple erected by Solomon, they contain what? When we look at all of the elements in the, in the sanctuary that Moses had and the tabernacle that Solomon had, what are some of the uh, metallic uh, substances that they had? The Bible says they had gold, they had silver, brass, and iron. Now, let us turn to First uh, Chronicles. First Chronicles, uh, we want to use chapter 22. First Chronicles, chapter 22. Now, here in First Chronicles, chapter 22, we want to use verse 16. Okay. Now, here in the 16th verse of First uh, Chronicles, it said, now this is Solomon building the temple now. He said, of the gold, the silver, the brass, and the iron, there is no number. Arise, therefore, and be doing, and Yah be with thee. In other words, Solomon said, we got all of the materials. We got the silver, 
We got the gold, we got the brass and the iron. He says, now, go forth and make the temple. This is what Elohim had made the temple out of. And we find also in the human body, he made our temples also with these precious metals. Just as these structures contain these precious metals, even so do our human bodies contain them also. So often when people are classified as being an anemic, we may draw the conclusion that they are lacking in iron. See, a lot of times we say the person's blood does not have enough iron, and so we call them anemia. While this may be true in many instances, yet one can be an anemic because of the lack of copper, the lack of silver, the lack of gold, or the lack of iron. All of those are composed of the human body. You can go to the health food store and get copper and silver and iron and gold. You can get those in the colloidal form because that's what the body is made out of. In the human body, there is iron, copper, brass, silver, and gold. In the tabernacle and the temple, there was brass in the courtyard, which comprised the brazen altar of burnt offering and the brazen labor for work washing. Moreover, there was brass in the courtyard sockets, which held up the pillars of the fence, which surrounded the tabernacle, and also the brazen pins of the tabernacles. The silver was used to make items for the courtyard and the tabernacle, respectively, to make silver cords, hooks, and sockets. As for the gold, all of the furnishings of the tabernacle were of gold. There was the golden ark of the covenant with its golden cherubims, the golden altar of incense, the golden menorah, and the golden table of showbread. In the Salamic temple, iron was used for nails. Just as these metals support the tabernacle and the temple, so do these support our physical body, the temple. Because when we get these metallic uh, uh, substances in our body, they are the minerals and things that we need in order to support the body. In order for the vitamins and the other nutritions to have their effect in our body, we need these uh, metals to be there to be able to support the vitamins and the minerals and all of that. In the corporal composition, each of the metals represents some aspect of our Savior. Now, so just what does gold, silver, brass, and iron represent in the Bible? What do they represent? Okay, now when we turn to 1 Kings 9, 14, or uh, 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 10, 14 in 1 Kings, and Revelation 3, 18, and Revelation 28, 2118, gold represents wealth, power, prestige, and gold also represents divinity. That's what gold represents. Now, what does silver represent? In Exodus chapter 30, verses 15 and 16, and Job 2225, and Psalms 12:6, silver represents atonement, redemption, and purity. Because oftentimes, in order to be redeemed, they had to bring the silver shackle to the to the priest in order to get redemption. They had to bring that shackle. 
Okay, so silver represents atonement, redemption, and purity. Okay, what about brass? When you look at Job 40, verse 18, Job 28:2, Leviticus 26, 19, and Numbers 29, in Numbers 21, verse 9, brass represents strength, and also brass was taken out of the earth, and also brass represents suffering. This is why a lot of times when you read in the Bible, that people will put in brazen shackles or shackles of brass, it causes them to suffer with those uh, brass shackles on. So brass represents strength. It, it represents something coming out of the earth, like our Messiah. He was born of the flesh, and the flesh, we know, according to Adam, came from the earth. So our redemption or our Redeemer, he also came out of a mother's, uh, out of Mary's womb, which would be like coming out of the earth. And then when he suffered and he died on the cross, then this brass represents his suffering. This is why when he was talking to Nicodemus, he said, I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And when he was talking about him being lifted up on the cross, he was saying, when you look, he said, just as the brazen serpent in the wilderness was put on a pole and lifted up, and when all of those people were bitten by those poison serpents, when they looked upon the brazen serpent that was on the pole, all of that venom and that poison drained out of them, and they were saved. So Yeshua is saying, just like that brazen serpent was put on that pole, even so I will be put on a cross, and those who look to me for salvation, they would be saved, just as those who looked upon the brazen serpent. So brass represents suffering. And then what does the iron represent? In, in Job chapter 40, verse 18, and Leviticus chapter 26, 19, and Job 28, 2, iron represents the bones of the body. Firmness and impenetrable. When Yeshua died on the cross, they said not a bone was broken in his body when he died on the cross. Now, bones need what? They need iron because the Bible uh, when it made when 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 Elohim made man, he made him with bones, and and the bones is where the blood is made in the bone marrow, and if the blood is made in the bone marrow, then that's also where the iron is. It uses the iron to make the blood. So we see that all of this stuff is a part of the human body, just like it was a part of the sanctuary. And when we associate wood and metals in the building of the tabernacle sanctuary and the construction of the temple sanctuary, we have the following. We have wood and gold. Okay, what does wood represent? Wood represents humanity. What does gold represent? Gold represents wealth, power, prestige, and divinity. So when we have the wood that is overlaid with gold, what we are actually saying, we have humanity that is wealthy. We have human wealth. We have human power, and we have human prestige. And since gold represents divinity, when we have the gold that is overlaid, the wood, we have what we call the human and the divine. We have humanity and divinity. This is what Yeshua was. He was both man, and he was also divine. And so we have human wealth, human power, human prestige, and human and the divine. And then we had the wood and the silver. 
Wood represents humanity. Silver represents atonement, redemption, and purity. So when we have the wood and the silver, we have what we call the human atonement because Yeshua was human, and he gave us the atonement on the cross. And then we have the human redemption. It was through his humanity that he was able to redeem us. And we have what we call human purity. It was through his pure blood that when he died, that his human flesh was pure, and we can overcome through his blood to be able to get the pure flesh that we need. And we have what we call wood and brass. The brass was overcovered the wood. As we pointed out, the, the wood represents humanity. The brass represents strength. It represents something that comes out of the earth, and it represents suffering. So when we have human when we have the wood and the brass, we have human strength. Yeshua had human strength. He, he was came out of the earth or the flesh, and when he died, he had his sufferings. Even before he died, he suffered in the Garden of Gethsemane. He suffered through the male treatment of the Roman soldiers. He suffered on the cross. We have human suffering, and through the human suffering, then he redeemed us. And when we partake of the cross, then we are partaking of the wood and the brass. And then we have the wood and the iron. Now, wood is the human. Iron means the bones, the firmness, and the impenetrable. So when we have the human and the iron or the human and the bones, the wood for humanity and the iron for the bones, we have the human bones, the human firmness, and that which is impenetrable is the bones. Even when a person has died and deceased, the bone still remains. Iron is in the blood, and the blood is produced in our bones, and not a bone of his bone was broken. So when we look at that, we can see images of Yeshua as he portrayed the sanctuary, but he is also portraying the human body that contains these elements. Now that we have examined the physical body, then next week we'll consider, uh, we'll, con we'll start there next week. And, well, I tell you what, let us do this. Let us go to the last part of this, which is kind of short, the last part of this, because we not only talked about the human uh, compos the corporal composition and the corporate container, but also we want to talk about the corporate form, the shape. Let us just deal with that briefly, and then next week we can just uniquely deal with the spirit. Okay, now, according to Genesis 2-7, it says he formed man, which meant that he, he shaped man out of the dust of the ground. It was not just his substance, but he shaped that substance, and in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, it tells us that, the, uh, that he made man in his image. Both the male and the female was created in his image. So when Yeshua was upon this earth, he spoke of his body as a temple. We are Yah's temple, and being such, he wants to put his spirit in us to be used for him. So when he shaped man, he shaped him in his own image and likeness. So when we, so when Yah made Adam and Eve, 
What he made was a living human covenant. Both of them was covenants. That's what he made, human covenants at the beginning. Our loving Father, as we have looked at the composition, the corporate composition of our physical being, it corresponds to the temple in which Yeshua and Adam was made out of, in which you made us temples out of the same ingredients. And those are some expensive ingredients, and this is why you said you made man more precious than the gold of Ophir, even his physical being. So help us to treat this physical being as we should, that it can conform to the covenant that we are coming back to. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it, and for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen and amen. Amen. So, you know, I just wonder, um, is our skin made out of brass? Because it talks how, in certain verse, verses, how Yehoah, mm-hmm. his skin was as brass dipped in or burned in fire. Right, right. And uh, so I'm just mm-hmm. wondering if our skin is composed with brass. I wouldn't doubt it because that's what we made out of. And, mm-hmm. you know, even, uh, like you said, with the gold and the silver, uh, those elements are always found in our bodies. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense that, you know, with everything that has been going on and being said, um, I think more and more people are opening up to believe that Africa is where things started because where else on this planet is it rich in every single last one of those minerals? That's right. And everything. Uh-huh. And it's interesting too how you tie in the temple with our bodies because our bodies is also a temple and how the temple and the sanctuary was built with these same elements and our bodies are built with the same elements. Mm-hmm. That was really interesting. Uh, yeah. And that's what, what, what we're trying to show is that when we return to the covenant, we should only put into our bodies the stuff that comes from the earth mm-hmm. and that help us with the viruses. It helps us with diseases and all of the stuff mm-hmm. because all of our nutrients are coming from the earth. That's what we are made out of. Yeah. And when we treat our bodies right with the earth, then our bodies will be able to respond a lot better. And so when we return to the covenant, it's not just saying we return to the covenant, but we're returning to the elements that made us. Mm-hmm. And so when we return to that, our, even our physical being is going to conform to the covenant. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, you know, um, it, it is to the animals that were made, that mm-hmm. Yah created, did they also come from the earth? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, all that came from the earth. He made all that stuff from the dust of the ground, the fish and the fowls and all of that. And, you know, it's interesting, too, how Yah had the Sabbath for us to keep and to take a rest, to rejuvenate ourselves, and the same thing he wants for his land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something. Yeah, you know, that that was really, that really stood out. You know, 
he wants us to rest. That's something he wants of us on a constant basis. You know, even to land everything, he's basically saying, you know, have rest, take it easy, rejuvenate, mm-hmm. so you can come back stronger than what you were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so next week you'll be dealing with, this week you dealt with the physical substance, and next week mm-hmm. you'll be dealing with the spiritual substance. Yeah, we're going to deal with the, first, uh, the spiritual substance. Uh, that was quite, you know, when I looked at the spiritual substance, that was, that was quite insightful too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, well, I look forward to that. Yeah, we're going to deal with the spiritual substance because it takes the physical and the spiritual to make the soul. Yeah, well, that's what we want to concentrate on. Well, you definitely want to come and stay tuned in for part 14 of the Destiny of Disobedience as the pastor would deal with the spiritual substance. This week we dealt with the physical and you saw the parallels to each of those and how they all link together. So he's going to next week link the spiritual part of it. If the physical was good, you got to come in and tune in uh, to listen to see what the pastor has to say about the spiritual substance part next week. All right, with that, we will go to our next segment. Up next is Let's Talk About That. So if you know, everybody knows this time of year is people call the holiday season anticipation of Christmas. And I see a lot of people, even Christians, people that's supposed to be a part of the book, even churches, having a Christmas tree up. And so I kind of want to dig deep into the origins of the Christmas tree. Also, what the Bible speaks of I feel is the Christmas tree according to scripture. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you can turn with me to Jeremiah, the 10th chapter, and we're going to read verses three and four. That is Jeremiah, the 10th chapter, verses three and four. And it reads, for the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the works of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers that it move not. Um, Pastor, a few years ago, someone had asked a Adventist minister, was that referring to the Christmas tree? Now, me reading it, through history and through what I've known, the only tree that I've known that was cut down with an axe, nailed to the floor so it doesn't move or fall, and dripped with silver and gold and trimmings and everything is a Christmas tree. So when he says it wasn't, is he correct? That is not referring to a Christmas tree, or is this possibly uh, this verse Yah's foretelling years before that in in certain ways this is referencing the Christmas tree. Well, in a way he's right, and in another essence it may not be correct because at this particular time in history in which Jeremiah is attributing uh, this tree with the gold and the silver and stuff and nailed down with hammers and nail, with nails, uh, uh, take the hammer and nail the nails down to, in order for it not to move. Uh, 
the word Christmas uh, had not existed back then. Mm. Okay. Okay. That that was Christmas didn't come in until far later. Okay. But now where they may that where we may differ in the sense that even though the word the word did not exist, mm-hmm. uh, the custom did. Yes. So they, they 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 did have the custom. You know, they're just like me saying, uh, well, uh, we didn't have the term uh, LBGTQ. We didn't have that uh, uh, in the Bible, so we can't say it's wrong. Mm-hmm. No, we didn't have no LGBTQ in the Bible, but the concept of the or what they were doing uh, uh, even today was still in the commandment that says, you know, uh, you should not commit a middle adultery. Mm-hmm. So, so, so the law was there, and it says that a man should not be with a man, and a woman should not, you know, cohabit with a woman. Mm-hmm. That was that was in the Bible, even though it didn't say LBGTQ. So even though Christmas was not in the Bible, mm-hmm. the customs that people follow today are in the Bible. So whether you you call it uh, Christmas or you refer you know to it as your holiday, still what you are doing, the custom is in the Bible. And you say, well, we do it, but Jeremiah was not only talking about uh, having a tree that was nailed down with silver and gold on it, mm-hmm. but he was talking about worshiping the tree. Okay, let's take that logic and say, okay, does Christmas say that we worship a tree? And a lot of people say, well, I don't worship the tree. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, most places I go, even today, most places, even when I talk on telephone and I'm talking business around this time of the year, the first thing they tell me, well, when we close the call, they'll say, happy holiday. Yeah. Okay, well, if you're saying happy holiday and you're saying that Christmas is a holiday, where did the word holiday come from? It Mm. comes from the word holy day. But what they did, they took the Y and they dropped the Y and changed it to the I and put D-A-Y on it, okay? Yeah. So you got you got Holy Day is now holiday. Mm-hmm. So if you're saying that Christmas is a holiday, it is holy, and anything that's holy is what you worship. So when you mm-hmm. say you don't worship it, what are you worshiping? How can you have a holy day that is not to be worshipped? Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, if you say it's not a holy day and you're doing it, then you're doing the same thing that the pagans did. You, you, you are saying you're taking something that is totally secular mm-hmm. that you do not worship, and yet and still you're following the custom. That is, that is even worse. At least when you call it a holy day, at least gave you the license to worship. But now you're saying that you don't worship it, but it's not a holy day. If it's not a holy day, then you ain't got no business with it. <laughs> wow. Okay, now, the other thing that we have to look at mm-hmm. is that oftentimes when you see something in the Bible, it may be labeled one thing, 
but in our modern society, it may be clothed in our modern vernacular. We may, we, we may, we, we may call it Christmas. Back then, they may not have called it Christmas. That is just a form of worship for them. Mm-hmm. So when we take our money and we buy Christmas trees and all of this, then are not we when we buy something, where did that money come from to buy it? It came from the works of our hands, right? Mm-hmm. So when we buy something and we put it up in our house and we say that this represents Yeshua's birthday on Christmas, then we are worshiping the works of our hands because we took our hard-earned money to buy the Christmas tree, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, here's the fallacy of what we are saying. We are saying that is Yeshua's birthday. We get a Christmas tree to represent his birthday. And you know and I know that all of the gifts we get is not for Yeshua. Now, we said they for Yeshua, but our kids and the grown-ups, they are the ones that are getting the gifts. So how is it his birthday Yeah. if if, if he's not getting the gifts? That in, in itself is a falsehood. So that makes it adultery, in, in spiritual adultery in that sense. If you're going to say it's his birthday and he doesn't get any of the gifts, and yet you say it's his birthday, that is erroneous. So what we are looking at is, is that, this so-called day is teaching us falsehoods because we are telling our children about Santa Claus and Yeshua at the same time. And you can't put good with evil. And so we are teaching them falsehoods very early. We mm. are saying that is his birthday. And the Bible never said remember his birthday. It said remember his death, not his birthday. And so when we keep these pseudo holidays, what are we saying? We are saying we are teaching falsehood. Okay. Now we'll say that those in the LBGTQ and they got all the letters, they are wrong for saying that it's okay for a man to be with another man or a woman to be with another woman. And we'll come out loudly against that and say, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. But yet when it comes to these false holidays, all of a sudden, we are silent. It's okay. But you can't pick and choose. Either you're dealing with truth or you're not dealing with truth. True. And I leave it there. True. And, as, you know, just as you were saying, too, um, in so many words, it's the tradition of whatever you're keeping. The background. It may not have had Christmas back then, but what is the result of that tree? So I kind of wanted to dig a little bit deeper. And so I want to show some of our viewers what I was able to find real easy, searching the origin of the Christmas tree. And I would think these are pretty decent sources because when I was a kid, one of the sources I want to use a Britannica. When I was a kid, they had a pretty extensive line of encyclopedias. And I remember us having some. And so whenever you did research, you, you know, when you wrote a paper, you can quote the sources 
from the Britannica Encyclopedia. And also want to show you guys something from the history.com, which talks about Christmas trees and the essence of it. So it says from, this is from Britannica.com and it reads the Christmas tree, an evergreen tree, often of a pine spruce or fir decorated with lights and ornaments as a part of Christmas festivities. Christmas trees can be fresh cut, potted, or artificial and used as both indoor and outdoor decorations. While the trees are traditionally associated with Christian symbolism, their modern use is largely secular. Many families place presents around the indoor Christmas tree to be opened on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. The use of evergreen trees, wreaths, and garlands symbolize eternal life was a custom of the ancient Egyptians, Chinese, and Hebrews. Tree worship was common among pagan Europeans and survived their conversion to Christianity in the Scandinavian customs of decorating the house and barn with evergreens at the new year to scare away the devil and of setting up a tree for the birds during Christmas time. It survived further in the custom also observed in Germany of placing a Yule tree at an entrance or inside the house during the midwinter holidays. The modern Christmas tree, though, originated in Western Germany. The main prop of a popular medieval play about Adam and Eve was a paradise tree, a fir tree hung with apples that represented the Garden of Eden. The Germans set up a paradise tree in their homes on December the 24th, the religious feast day of Adam and Eve. They hung wafers on it, symbolizing the Eucharist host, the Christian sign of redemption. In a later tradition, the wave wafers were placed, replaced with cookies of various shapes. Candles of symbolic of Christ as the light of the world were often added. In the same room was the Christmas pyramid. Now, if you remember the pyramid, you've seen them in Egypt dealing with Nimrod and Baal worship. And then you also see the pyramid a lot of the time with Masonic symbols. And then also on the many churches, you see a pyramid in the steeple and when they put a obelisk. Now, they say the Christmas pyramid, a triangular construction of wood that shells to hold Christmas figurines and was decorated with evergreens, candles, and a star. By the 16th century, the Christmas pyramid and the paradise tree had merged, becoming the Christmas tree. The custom was widespread among German Lutherans by the 18th century, but it was not until the following century that the Christmas tree became a deep-rooted German tradition. Now, I want to go over to uh, lastlyhistory.com. And they say the long before the advent of Christianity, plants and trees that remained green all year had special meaning for the people in, in the winter. Just as the people today decorate their homes during the festive season with pine, spruce and fir trees, as it said also in Britannica. They said in many countries it was believed that evergreens would keep away witches, ghosts and evil spirits and illnesses. They said, okay, in the northern, okay, well, we'll skip down to it. 
how it was tied in with the ancient Egyptians. The ancient Egyptians worshipped a god called Ra, who had the head of a hawk and wore a sun as a blazing disc in his crown. At the solstice, when Ra began to cover, recover from his illness, the Egyptians filled their home with green palm rushes, which symbolized for them the triumph of life over death. Early Romans marked the solstice as the feast called Saturnalia, in honor of Saturn, the god of agriculture. The Romans knew that the solstice meant that soon farms and orchards would be green and fruitful. To mark the occasion, they decorated their homes and temples with evergreen bulbs. In Northern Europe, the mysterious Druids, priests of the ancient Celts, also decorated their, temp their temples with evergreen bulbs as a symbol of everlasting life. The fierce Vikings in Scandinavia thought the evergreens were a special plant of the sun god Balder. So, as you see here, uh, most of the, just about every time the Christmas tree is brought up, it was dealing with the pagan worship, a pagan uh, god they were serving. So, how could we be, how can this thing be Christian when it's tied to so much paganism and other gods? And here it says nothing. Just from history.com and Britannica.com says nothing about Yahusha at all. And I would think if it did, if it, no, I would think that if it was part of the scripture, it seemed like he would be tied to it somewhere in here and everything. But I want to ask you, Pastor, too, about this. As we go to Exodus, the 20th chapter, which we know is the Ten Commandments, and I want to read verse 4 and 5. Okay. And it says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them or serve them. For I, Yahuwah, unto Elohim and the jealous El, visiting the iniquities upon the father, upon the two, the children of the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. So just reading that, um, is not the Christmas tree a graven image? No, I think so. And in the form of, uh, making itself a holiday. Yeah. Uh -huh. So yeah. I, I just can't understand if that's the definition are not these ministers and pastors not reading this to understand what is a graven image or not? Because all through scripture, uh, you know, it, it states to tear down your trees, tear down your idols, burn them, get rid of them. Even when it came to the Asherah poles. And I uh -huh. think basically the Christmas tree is uh, modern day Asherah. Yeah. Well, that was one of the uh, problems that when Solomon was he on earth? He had a, uh, he eventually went over to that, uh, dealing with that. Yeah, that, that is a form. It is a form of worship. And a lot, a lot of pastors and preachers, bishops and stuff, when they read about, you know, idolatry, mm -hmm. 
they may not perceive it in this, you know, as that being a form of idolatry because uh, you must remember that many individuals, they may not even keep, keep the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. You know, they may not keep the Sabbath and they have other days that they keep alongside, you know, Sunday, which is not the true Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Therefore, what you are dealing with is if you can accept one form of idolatry, then it's easier to accept another form of idolatry. Mm-hmm. But that is a form of of, of idolatry uh, for the Christmas tree to be used on a holy day mm-hmm. as the emblem that stands out foremost. And as you look at these images that they have, as you pointed out, they are not connected with Yeshua at all. Mm-hmm. You know, they just connected with some some custom that has been developed by man. And as a result, over the years, we have come to treasure these things and the very things we should treasure and that we as ministers and pastors and those who over congregations and denominations should be looking at is what does the Bible say. But we have accepted these traditions that has been so strong that even when you speak against many of these traditions, many people could become offended Mm. even though we are not trying to offend anybody, but none of this is found in, in in the scriptures. It would seem to me if you say you're following scriptures, you would be offended by keeping the false rather than by being offended if somebody tell you what the true is. But we find that I think in the book of Galatians saying, uh, do you come to uh, hate me because I'm telling you the truth? Mm-hmm. Why are you hating me because I'm telling you the truth? You're not hating people who have given you error, but people who give you truth, you want to hate them and accept the people with error. But there's no biblical basis for the Christmas tree or Christmas. Wow. Now, one one thing I, I think that could be an issue, and it stood out to me, as I was reading on Asherah polls, when I go to the King James Version, and I'm going to put it on, on the screen, and I looked at, I can't remember what verse this was. Let me get ch- chapter. Mm. You're um, talking about 1 Kings 48, 1 Kings 11. No, not that one. Uh, the one where it talks about, but ye shall destroy altars, break their images, and cut down their groves. Oh, um, mm-hmm. but I have it on the screen. The first, mm-hmm. the top one is from the King James version. And the lower one is from the Sefer Bible, which reads, but ye shall destroy their altars, break their images and cut down their Asherah poles. Um, if I'm looking at it as groves, I'm not thinking, and I'm saying this for me, I'm not thinking it as the same thing as an Asherah pole, as an idol. When you say to me groves, I'm thinking of a bunch of fruit trees or trees in the area, um, plentiful, but not actually serving them. Mm. So could that also be some form of confusion for them to change the name from Asherah poles to groves? Because if you, the only way you will know is if you dig a little bit deeper into that chapter 
and maybe go into a concordance or something that breaks it down, then you will find the word was Asherah. But if it says gross and you do no further research to deep dive, could you also be misled? Oh, well, is that a question or observation? A question. Uh, yeah, well, what you do with Groves and Asherapos, uh, both of them were uh, condemned. Mm-hmm. Uh, a grove was simply a place where they uh, may, may have produce and stuff. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them, instead of going to the place of worship, which was uh, a central location like Jerusalem or something, or coming to the altar, which had been established by Elohim, mm-hmm. they, they would go to these various uh, groves and they may worship. Now, Asherah pole, uh, I'm not sure if, you know, when you deal with the etymology of Asherah pole and where it came from, mm-hmm. but we, I know there's a chapter, let me see, let's turn to uh, 1 Kings 11, 1 Kings chapter 11, and there are some verses uh, that speak somewhat concerning the issue that you, you are bringing up. And here in 1 Kings 11, and we start with verse number 4, it says, For it came to pass, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with Yah, his Elohim, as was the heart of David his father. So Solomon went after Asterix. Now, I'm, I'm thinking that Asterix, Mm-hmm. Is where they get the name Asterix Pole yeah. from. And now, who is Asterix? Okay. According to this, in verse 5 of uh, 1 Kings 11, it says, For Solomon went after Asterix, the goddess, in other words, she was a woman goddess mm-hmm. of the Zidonians. That's, that's what it was. And sometimes they will put these poles up to worship these particular goddesses. And this is why. Elohim had told Solomon that if he's going to marry, he should be married in Israel because he told Solomon, and even before Solomon came on the scene, that his people should not marry outside of Israel because uh, many of these uh, individuals that he would marry outside of the nation of Israel, they would have their gods, and they would eventually turn uh those who married them after their gods. And that's what happened with Solomon. His heart was turned from the true to the false when he got old and dealing with all these wives who were worshiping Asherah, the goddess of Zizonians. And in verse 5 it says, and then it talks about some more. It said, and after Malcolm, the abominations of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of Yah and went not fully after Yah, as did David his father. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto other Elohims. Now, what we are seeing here is that these poles oftentimes represented certain Elohims. Mm. Now, was it the poles were more devastating than the groves? I don't know, but mm. it would seem like to me you could take a grove and put up and put an asterisk pole in a grove 
and 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 worship these various types of gods from the other nations. And so Elohim is saying that the idolatry was that when you had other wives, that these wives who didn't worship the true Elohim and you embrace your life with them, then most likely you're going to end up worshiping the Elohims that they worship. This mm -hmm. is why the Bible says that in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 19 and 20, know you not that you are bought with a price, mm -hmm. that when you uh, deal with, with these gods, these other gods, and even in marriage, a lot of times you are not just marrying that person, but you are also being married to their God. And how can a false God and a true God come together? They they can't. They can't. Mm. And that's why he admitted Solomon, don't don't do that because they're gonna turn your heart after other Elohims. And that's what they did at the latter part of his life. So the Asherah pole and the grove, those were places that false deities was worshipped, and Elohim had forbidden that in the second uh, in I believe in the second commandment. Mm -hmm. And the second and the second and the third commandment. Yeah. But you know, some people would ask the question. It's just an innocent little tree I'm just putting up. You know, um, I still, you know, in my heart feel like I still love the most high. So is it that wrong? Well, I guess Adam and Eve could say, well, we just take a little bite off of a tree. What, uh, is that wrong? I mean, all we did is just take a little bite, and, and he want to punish us for that. Mm -hmm. And what we must understand is that what we call small can often develop in something great. Mm -hmm. Because the same people saying, well, you know, Christmas is innocent. It's just something that we do. Well, most people that I know that celebrate Christmas celebrate Easter. Uh -huh. People who celebrate Easter celebrate Halloween, St. Patrick's Day, and all this other stuff that Elohim hadn't given. So can we see how little things that continue to creep up into a larger things, and then when it gets so large, we can't, we can't, we can't handle it. We find ourselves totally immersed in idolatry, and and we are so immersed in it, we can't see it because we're looking at it as something small. Yeah. But you got to understand that everything that is big started with something small. True. Just like most of us have been babies, we start off small. And as we start off small and we start off with habits that are good, we may continue to have it, but if we start off with bad habits and we continue to grow and don't correct those habits, then that which is small becomes big. And for the mere fact that we came back off of Christmas and these different false days, shows that it started small in the home, but now it's so big that we, many of us, you know, we, 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 would, we would think that we wouldn't worship in Elohim if we didn't keep Christmas. That's how big it has become, even yeah. though you say it's small. True. So the thing that we have to look at is no matter how small something is, if it's wrong, it's wrong. And we can't feed wrong because you feed wrong it's going to get so large that you you can't even contain it. Look at this world now. You tell somebody about Yeshua and accepting the cross. This world is it's been steeped in so much evil 
Mm-hmm. You, you, you can't hardly get a person to even look at Yeshua, let alone worship him because yeah. of the traditions that they have been worshiping for so long. So let's not confuse something small with being so innocent. True. And I, I think we need to look at the laws he gave us and see if those things that we're doing fit those laws as is a right to do. And if it's against it, then it's something that we shouldn't do. Because if the Bible says, make unto thee no graven images of anything. And, and it's crazy that that verse, a lot of these churches aren't even thinking about it because many of these churches are putting these symbols of worshiping other gods right in front of your face. And we, and a lot of us are still accepting a lot of this stuff, you know, and not even thinking anything about it because I think a lot of, we have normalized it so much that we don't think is, you know, a lot of us don't think it's wrong at all. But at the same token, is it that, because just like how I read how, these things were to ward off evil. Has Satan intertwined himself so much with good and evil that it's really deceptive? Like a lot of the things we do, it may look like it's good, but it's really underneath the surface is evil. Yeah, well, that's certainly, uh, that all goes all the way back to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Mm-hmm. He- he intertwines good with evil all down through history. That's what wow. he does. He's a master at that. Wow. When it when it when it comes to uh, when it, when it comes to our money, mm-hmm. it's good and evil. You know, he uh, he puts good and evil 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 together eco- economically. You know, Elohim says that your first fruits and your income goes to Elohim, and he'll tell you, you know. Uh, to go ahead and maybe pay your tithe and other stuff, and then you take your money and you'll put it in, into these false holidays and stuff, and you got good and evil together. Because I mean, who's gonna who's gonna really say that if you pay your tithe and your offerings uh, to the so-called church you're in, mm-hmm. and then you go out here and buy buy a Christmas tree? They said, oh, he gave us he gave he gave uh, Elohim his. Now he's just using his the the way you want him, but that's just good with evil, you know. Just because you gave Elohim what he's asking for, and then turn around and support a pagan custom, uh, that's good and evil. Have you ever have you, you know just like have you ever stopped to think that all of these millions upon millions and millions of people man Christmas trees every year. You can drain the forest. You take all of the wood out of the forest, and then when the sun comes out to the earth, it has no trees to catch the photosynthesis of the uh, sun in order to produce food and plants in the evergreen tree. Mm-hmm. And it makes the earth dry and parched. And pretty soon, the very areas that we are depopulating, it causes the earth to have a desert area, and it, it, it harms the earth by taking all of these trees up uh, 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 up from the uh, up from the ground, and in many areas where there's no trees and plants, what happens? 
it become dry, parched ground, and, and those very grounds that become dry and parched, they can become the areas that we have earthquakes and all of this other stuff in, all because we have disrupted the horticulture of the earth. We don't take in consideration the mass amount of trees that we take from the earth that is destroying the earth. We have to be very cognizant of how we take stuff from the soil mm-hmm. and how to replace it in the soil. But sometimes we just rape the soil just like they have raped the continent of, of, of Africa of all of the mineral resources that they have, and they have displaced it and put it over in other countries, and they have gotten all of the profit. Now, some of this stuff is good, but some of it is evil, but that's what the devil does. He takes the good with the evil. So we have to be very aware of the fact that a lot of the things that we are doing may have some good benefits, but we have to also look at the negative benefits as well. So true. So true. I want to encourage you to tune in next week as the pastor will go into the spiritual substance. He gave us the physical Next week is the spiritual. And next week, I hope to kind of dive in. In Revelation chapter 2, it speaks of the Nicolaitans. And I'm kind of wondering, with the Nicolaitans mentioned in Scripture, how does that tie? Or is there a connection with Santa Claus, St. Nicholas, whatever you want to call it, and the Nicolaitans? So look forward to you next week. And with that, Pastor, can you take us to the throne as we get ready to close out this podcast for this week? Our loving Father, again, we direct our incense, our prayers to thee, knowing, O Heavenly Father, that you are living Elohim, and you sent your Son, O Heavenly Father, to show us the path to truth. And the path that he showed us, Lord, never included Christmas, Easter, or any of the false holidays. But all of your days, O Heavenly Father, and the sacrifice that you had are connected with your festival days, which is Passover. And we see in Passover the great sacrifice, Lord, that you gave for the world. And then from Passover, O Heavenly Father, you gave us unleavened bread. And from unleavened bread, you gave us first fruits. You gave us the Feast of Trumpets. You gave us the Day of Atonement. And then you close your feast, O Heavenly Father, with Feast of Tabernacles, and all seven annual feasts is what you have given to your children to obey. And each Sabbath, O Heavenly Father, is also a festival, which is the weekly festival. And when we combine the weekly festival with the annual festivals, we find that we are on your calendar and not man's calendar, and it's your calendar that gives us redemption. So help us to pay attention to the holy days that you have given us, that we can be your children, a part of your covenant. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it, and for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. We want to remind you that on December the 31st and January the 7th, we will not be live streaming those two days. Uh, We will be taking a break for about two weeks. So this will give you a chance. If you miss any of our episodes, it will give you a chance to go back and revisit some of our previous episodes, either here on YouTube or on our podcast on 
that we have on various platforms. Uh, Anchor FM, Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, I think Google Podcasts, as well as many others that's out here. So remember, January the 7th and also December the 31st, uh, we will not be live streaming. But we will be back on January the 14th. So mark your calendars, January the 14th, 2023, we'll be back. That is our podcast for this week. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. O ye seed of Yasharel, his servant, ye children of Yaakov, his chosen ones. He is Yahuwah Eloheinu. His judgments are in all the earth. Be ye mindful always of his covenant, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. First Chronicles chapter 16, verses 13 through 15. Until next week, shallow one.